This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you missed any of my talk radio breakfast show, don't worry. We've put some of the punchiest bits of this morning's show into a bite-sized podcast, the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. Enjoy. Uh, right now, let's get to my first guest of this hour. And that's Stephen Timms, Labour MP and Chair of the Work and Pension Select Committee and uh, someone who voted Remain. And find out where he stands on all, all of the uh, Brexit shenanigans going on. Good morning to you, Stephen Timms. Good morning, Julia. Uh, lovely to speak to you. Um, we, we, I, mean, I don't think anyone's very surprised to see that we missed that deadline last night set by uh, both sides for uh, the final moment of, uh, of debating whether or not we were going to have a deal or a no deal. Ursula von der Leyen, the European Commission President, and Boris Johnson issued a statement last night saying, despite... Despite the exhaustion after almost a year of negotiations, despite the fact that deadlines have been missed over and over, we think it is responsible at this point to go the extra mile. We have accordingly mandated our negotiators to continue the talks and to see whether an agreement can even can even at this late stage be reached. Um, are you more or less hopeful of a deal at this point? Well, I'm glad they're still talking. We we do need a deal. Boris Johnson won the election promising an oven-ready deal with the EU. He ne- needs now to get on and delivering it because leaving with no deal would be awful. We'd have big increases in food prices because of tariffs on food imported from the EU, probably an end to large-scale car making in the UK, end to large parts of UK agriculture and months of chaos and and wrangling. The Prime Minister must avert that. And I think he understands that. I think he recognises what a dreadful outcome that would be. They need to keep talking and to get a deal. Okay, just to clarify, I mean, again, Keir Starmer has repeatedly done this and every Labour MP I've spoken to in the last week, this mantra about this oven-ready deal. The oven-ready deal was about the withdrawal agreement. It was very, very clear. It was in the manifesto. It was there was a withdrawal agreement for us to leave. And we did leave on on January the 31st. I've still got the hangover from that party, uh, parties. uh, And um, and that was what that was promised. This is not... You're, You're absolutely, you're absolutely right. Julia, the ministers are now saying that when they were talking about an oven-ready deal, they were only referring to the agreement no, which no, applied no, up to no, the 31st no, it's, it's of December. No, it's what was literally said at the time. You can go back and check what was said and you can I read them. Done, the, have, manifesto done, is, the manifesto refers to the withdrawal agreement. What was particularly interesting was it, it what really Boris does. Johnson said when he, when he visited the supplier to Nissan, which he did on the 9th of December before the general election last year. And he said this, the thing about the deal we've got ready to go is it does protect the supply chains. It keeps them intact. It makes sure we have complete equivalence when it comes to our standards yes, and industrial requirements tr- and all the rest of it. For the transition. Now, I think what you're saying, Julia, and what ministers are saying is that guarantee only applied up to the 31st yes. of December this year. Well, if they said that at the 
time, they wouldn't have been elected, of course, because the whole point was they were reassuring those workers about the future of their jobs, no, not just no, up to the end of Stephen, 2020, Stephen, but in the come long on, term. Come on, Stephen, look, let's not, let's not spend the entire interview arguing about this. It is a simple matter of fact that the oven-ready deal referred to repeatedly in interviews, repeatedly on paper and in the Conservative manifesto to the withdrawal agreement. It's in black and white. It was about the deal for there to be, we, we leave the EU out there on the, January the 31st and we have a transition period to October to December the 31st and, and that was when is, and then is, we would negotiate a new deal and if there were a trade deal and if there were a trade deal that was good we'd sign it if there wasn't there would be no deal that, well, that if was Boris Johnson, if Boris Johnson had said his promises only applied up to the 31st of December 2020 he wouldn't have been elected oh, he the would chief have. operations he would officer have. he promised to deliver Brexit Most the, chief people... operation, the chief operations <laughs> officer of Nissan has made the point obviously our UK business will not be sustainable that's it that's okay. the truth his, if there uh, isn't a deal there must be a deal. I'm very pleased they're still speaking. They must now okay. deliver. Here's the thing, though. Okay? We've had so many warnings. We had the warnings, same warnings about us not during the Eurozone a few years back and then about us Brexiting. And we're constantly talking. And then it's no deal. Each time it's going to be an absolute disaster for the economy. All these businesses are going to leave. The City of London, frankly, should already have left. Even with the deal, we were told, everyone in the City of London, even the Financial Times, which is Ramona Central, has admitted, yeah, there really hasn't been an exodus. And in fact, more more city companies are coming to London uh, than are going to Paris or Frankfurt. Um, the, well, rea- the, rea- the, reali- the reality be. is a lot of this is scaremongering. But, you know, whole industries collapsing. They're not going to collapse. Million, hundreds of countries around the world have uh, trading relationships with the EU. Their industry hasn't collapsed because they haven't got a, tr- a trade deal with the EU. It would be, as Boris Johnson said in September 2019, a failure of statecraft for which we would all be responsible. Yes, He's absolutely it right would be. That. It would be a dreadful failure. And I hope that failure can be averted and the catastrophic consequences that would flow from it be averted as well. There's only a fortnight or so left. They've got to get a deal. They've got to sort it out. OK, so is it a guarantee that the Labour Party or Labour MPs will vote for whatever deal the Prime Minister gets? Well, it depends what the deal is. So you agree with Theresa May that no deal is better than a bad deal? Well, it, let's see what the deal is. So no deal decide, is better than a bad deal? That, 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 well, let's see what the deal is. So no we'll deal is better whether, than a bad deal, whether we're, whether I mean, we're if you're saying, it, if you're saying, Stephen, if you're saying that it, we, can't, we can't say we'd vote for a deal because we don't know whether the deal is a good deal or a bad deal or not, what you're saying is no deal is better than a bad deal. Well, yeah, we're not going to give the Prime Minister a blank cheque. We're going to look at whatever the deal is and then decide how to, to vote. So we can agree but that I no deal is I'm better than a bad deal then? No, I think... No, no so you no would deal. vote for any deal. No, so no, any no deal, deal is better than no, no deal? No no deal would be catastrophic because okay. it would mean big increases in food prices, end of large car, right. car making. That must be averted. So any that deal... Any deal to so, must be averted. So any deal is better than the catastrophe of no deal, in which case you'd vote for any deal then, Yes. Well, I'd like. No, I want to see the deal before I decide. So, no deal is better it. than a bad deal. Then, do you see? Do you see no, how? I, we, do you see where no, we're going with this? No, no. I want <laughs> to see the deal before I decide how to vote on it. So, you you might prefer no deal, even though it's catastrophic. No, I, I, I'm. I want to see the deal, and then I'll decide how to vote. Because, because altogether now, everyone, no deal is better than a bad deal. We definitely need to avoid leaving without a deal because of the disastrous consequences. So you'll vote for the deal, whatever it is. No, I want to see the deal and then I'll decide how to vote. I mean, should we do this all the way to 7.30? (laughs) 
But if at the <laughs> do, end do you see the, do you see do you see why a lot of people no, who are longtime Labour voters but voted for Brexit do you see why they don't trust Labour on this issue? Well, I can certainly see why they don't trust Boris Johnson because he promised an oven-ready deal, and now we're told, oh yeah, that only applied up to the thirty-first. Yes, it, of it, it applied to the withdrawal agreement, Stephen. We discussed this. Yes, yeah, it, that is not that is not what people thought when they heard Boris Johnson promising an oven-ready deal. They didn't think well, he meant this was something that was going to run out on the thirty-first of December. Lots, lots of people. And, you know, if at the end of it that is what happens, yes. then he and his party will be treated by those voters with the contempt they deserve. Well, we shall see about that. You say, I mean, Boris Johnson, as you quite rightly said, said it would be a failure of statecraft, but that would be a failure of statecraft on both sides. That would be a failure of the diplomats, indeed, of the chief negotiators, uh, Michel Barnier and Lord Frost, to get a deal when it is quite clearly on both sides' interest to have uh, a deal which continues tariff-free trade. Tariff-free trade is a good thing. Uh, Free trade is a good thing. It brings wealth. We know that. And therefore, not to agree that would be a failure of statecraft, but it would be a failure on both sides, would it not? Yeah, it, it would be a failure, as Boris Johnson said, for which we would all be responsible, him included. Yeah, well, and, and indeed the EU. Yeah. Okay. Everybody let's, responsible, let's, including let's, the Prime Minister. Let's talk also about what's going on in terms of COVID. You're a London MP, um, and there's uh, Sadiq Khan, the London Mayor, has been calling for schools to shut early. They're due to air close at the end of this week. Lots. I mean, again, school term times are very, very an awful lot. But for schools to close early, as, in, as of today, uh, lots of local councils around the country ordering schools to close. Public Health England saying they want them to close. Uh, and then we've got uh, uh, the, uh, the, the the Education Secretary Gavin Williamson insisting no no they should be staying open um what what do you make of this do you think that schools should be closing early or not well i think there is quite a strong case here there are lots of schools where now lots of teachers are off because of covid they're self-isolating groups of pupils are away i don't think very much is going to be happening in school, many schools this week. And I think there is a case for saying we've got the Christmas holidays coming up. We've got a two week break there. Let's look at this week and see whether we ought to take a break during this week for some schools as well. And do you think that um, we should be uh, seeing London, the capital city, moved into tier three? Look, it's not being London media, London centric. Uh, nevertheless, this is the capital city, nine million people. We know the service industry, hospitality, huge part of the economy of London. Um, three billion pound cost, we're told, if, we, if London moves into tier three. Do you think that uh, it's inevitable that when the review happens on Wednesday, that by the weekend, London will be in tier three? And would you support that? Well, I, I, I mean, it's a kind of it's a, a judgment based on the evidence. I think it would be an awful development if it happens. But it wouldn't surprise me if that is the decision that is reached when we get to that point in the middle of this week. OK, well, we shall we shall wait and see. Stephen Tibbs, always a pleasure to talk to you, sir, as a Labour MP. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer and The Times. Be well informed. Uh, we've got Wednesday, of course, is the first review of the tier restrictions we're in right now. A lot of the, uh, the uh, cities and towns around the country have been placed in tier three, particularly in the northwest, northeast, desperate to get back down to tier two, get hospitality back open ahead of Christmas. Of course, uh, very strong expectations now that London, the whole of London, could move into tier three uh, as of this coming weekend. Meanwhile, we've got mass testing going on uh, for uh, many of those tier three cities and towns and mass testing in schools in London, uh, Kent and Essex, well, the particular areas where there uh, is a rise in cases. So uh, this all comes, as, of course, many NHS chiefs are saying, don't relax restrictions ahead of Christmas, particularly that five-day break. Uh, we're, and fearing we're going to see a rise, a big spike in cases in the new year. Well, let's talk to Roy Lilly, who's a former NHS Trust chairman, about all of that. Good morning to you, Roy. Good morning, Julie. An awful lot to talk about on that front. It's amazing how much we're focusing on Brexit when this is this is what's happening in people's day-to-day lives, isn't it? I mean, people are worrying about, oh, fallout from Brexit for the uh, uh, businesses. Businesses are being closed down right now. Um, in terms of... Um, the tears. There's a lot of pressure. NHS chiefs writing uh, uh, letters over the weekend saying, you know what, don't split tears. Don't sort of have you know a town in tier three and the surrounding areas in tier two or tier one, and uh, and calling uh, for there to be basically tears up, ratcheted up rather than taken down ahead of Christmas. There is a real fear among the NHS that they are going to see. I mean, they're calling it a third wave. I mean, I, I frankly, I think an awful lot of this is still the the first wave, just happening in different areas. If you look at the actual granular data, but um, are these concerns? Just genuine from these NHS chiefs? Yeah, I think they are. <clears throat> Excuse me, because I think they are, Julia. Uh, and just to segue neatly from Brexit into this, don't forget a lot of NHS supplies comes in by container. So uh, we'll, we'll probably be talking about that, I think, after Christmas. Mm. Uh, yes, uh, NHS providers, which is the organisation that's written this letter to the Prime Minister, is a kind of a, a club, a trade club for uh, hospitals mainly. Um, and uh, they claim to speak for the trust. They have a WhatsApp group, and I think they do have a pretty good insight into what 
hospital chief executives are thinking. And there is, there is genuine concern because on the one hand, hospitals are being pushed to keep ordinary, in inverted commas, ordinary work going in the hospitals, electives and stuff like that. They have to deal with the day-to-day emergencies, stuff that comes in by ambulance. Then they've got the COVID problem. And on top of that, they've got social distancing and outpatients. And a lot of them, I mean, some of them have got hundreds of staff that are off, either self-isolating or off sick. So the hospitals are in a pretty bad place. And they are saying, and I think with some justification, look, if we're going to have a bit of fun over Christmas, we have to clamp down now to get the R number and admissions right down as far as we can, have our bit of fun over Christmas, and then clamp down again after Christmas. I mean, it's a pretty difficult place to be in. Yeah, it's, except if you actually look at the figures, now I completely accept that we've got a load of elective surgery that is cancelled and not going on, and you've got social distancing and you've got slightly fewer beds. I completely understand all the context of that. You are looking, we say London, we're told, you know, London's spiralling out of control. Um, we, we, we aren't, better occupancy rates are, are only a tiny bit above where they would be on average. Um, there's certainly, I mean, we, we have electric surgery cancelled quite routinely now in January. Uh, I mean, I know this is a month early, but uh, when we have flu, but again, flu, flu, I mean, different, different respiratory diseases have different uh, uh, seasonal uh, changes. Um, but we are, we are not seeing this massive, huge extra number of hospitalizations people in ICU beds, or indeed, even if you look at the death rates, they are above, no, no, I, I, I promise I'll let you come in. They are, we have excess deaths. We have we have statistically significant excess deaths as the Public Health England and NHS statistics have shown in the sense that they are not, they are not the average of the, say, the last five years. They are not statistically unusual though. They are, for instance, not in this period higher than they were in, say, 2018, the winter of 2017, 2018. They are not, for instance, higher than in 2000. Other years. They are they are relatively high, but they're not sort of off the scale bubonic plague hitting us high. They're nothing like what we saw in April. Why is there such panic? Well, it, you're, I mean, you're right to point that out. And it's not where we are, it's where we're going. I mean, the second wave, I've got the numbers here, um, the second wave began in early September with 425 patients in hospitals. And then the number peaked at nearly 14,000 on the 23rd of November. Now, the latest data from the 6th of December shows this has fallen to 12,241. That's a, a fall of about 1,500 yeah. in, in, that, in 13 days. The concern is where it's going. It's starting to look like the emissions are up. And if you look at the emissions in England, they've risen four on four consecutive days Mm. to the 6th of September and the following 16 consecutive days. So, I I mean, the the concern is the numbers are going up because there's a time lag. What happens? We've had we had a lockdown. Everything kind of subsides, which is the whole theory behind getting the R number down below one and that sort of magic number. And so that's that's happened. You can press that down. I think what the hospitals are saying, look, if we cut loose over Christmas uh, around, you know, probably the third, fourth week of January and February, plus the cold weather, plus, you know, who knows what. They're just saying, look, this is a risk. Understand this is a risk. Now, it's not the the NHS really isn't saying it's going to be overwhelmed and neither really 
is NHS providers. They're saying there is a potential for us to be overwhelmed if we don't put the lid on it properly but, but, before But that's and after. the thing. No one's talking about letting you I, I'm telling you, talking to an awful lot of people, again, most of my family have had the, had the virus anyway and therefore frankly have less concern. But I don't know anybody that, that you know, the, the elderly relatives are not just meeting with loads of households or, you know, we're not having the big family get together. Normally, you know, this week we'd have an early family Christmas, about 40 of us. That's not going ahead, obviously. But it's not going ahead for two reasons. Not because, it, is, it is against the law and therefore we're not going to be breaking the law. But also it wouldn't be going ahead even if it was in, in, in you know, legal simply because you know we want to be careful you know the parents parents in the late 70s they're going to get the vaccine in the next few weeks we let's do it in january when when, when they're safe again if it if it is legal now this is the question a lot of people have is it once we get that vaccine rolled out and we're looking at a quarter of a million people getting the vaccine this week alone as GPs start handing it out, um, there is no reason to expect that these figures will go off the scale, simply because we are it's only very elderly people who are really at most at risk of, of going into hospital severely. I mean, we get a few hundred people who are under 60, but and, and it's very, very sad and terrible that it does affect those people and they die. But the reality is it's mostly the elderly. If the elderly are being very, very careful and people are being, making sure their elderly relatives are, are not being exposed, there's no reason why we should see that spike in deaths. Listen, Julia, yeah, I mean, you've just described what is wrong with this whole pandemic. I mean, if people had washed their hands, worn a mask and kept their distance, we wouldn't have any of But this. people are doing that. I genuinely don't know me. anyone no, who's not no, doing they're, that. They're absolutely not. I mean, I, I, you, you see it on the TV news, a Regent Street, but they were shoulder to shoulder. What was wrong? The what, they were outdoors. No, no. You look at those camera angles. You can you can make people look like they're a lot closer than they are. <laughs> You're Come not going to tell me you can think this is fake news, are you? No, I didn't. No, I don't use the phrase fake news because no, I'm not trouble. No, but I'm just saying there, there are ways. Well, look, we saw that with Bournemouth Beach in the summer. And again, all these people on Bournemouth Beach, if you actually look at different angles, you can see they're not that close. But also, what a surprise, we didn't see a spike from people outdoors um, on a beach. I mean, this is the thing, people outdoors, they're not at high risk there. I can't I can't compete with the argument of conspiracy cameraman, but I think it's pretty clear that the, the, the COVID spreads, the more we are together, the more we're together in confined spaces, that's yeah, true. Not, not on Regent the, Street, that's not confined space, is it? But the more we are together, the more the COVID virus spreads. And that's the difficulty. And that's what's, that's what's happened in the pubs. I mean, the chief medical officer got into trouble, didn't he, over the 10 o'clock uh, yeah. uh, uh, curfew in the pubs. They said, well, what's so magic about 10 o'clock? Well, the answer is nothing. What they were trying to do is to compress the time, to, to reduce the time that people were indoors uh, in, yeah, and in ha- and, and, and have we seen? I mean, he, he, what, what he did, he made the mistake of admitting that um, that there was no hard evidence. When, God forbid anyone should ever admit that they haven't got any hard evidence for most of these things. Look, the key thing is here: we're not looking at the NHS being overwhelmed. We are not looking at, given the the rollout of the vaccine and, and elderly people just having a few more weeks to be extra extra careful and keep away from younger people. We're not looking at anyways. There is, I'm sorry, I'm if my my daughter's had COVID anyway, even if she hadn't, I'd be completely unconcerned about her catching COVID. Completely unconcerned about myself catching COVID if it turned out that I hadn't had it, although I've got the antibodies because of my age and my health and hers. I genuinely, it's it's such a it is such a low risk for healthy younger people. The the issue here is we should be doing the Great Barrington Declaration, massively shielding those who are health, who are, who are unhealthy, who are vulnerable, those who are elderly for the next few weeks. Get the vaccine rolled out, and everyone else going back to normal. I think that ship has sailed. I I, I can't see that happening. I think the governments, I mean, these are all political decisions. These decisions aren't made by 
the NHS. The NHS is really the dust cart that follows up the Lord Mayor's show of life. I mean, he just follows in and tries to sort the stuff out. These are political decisions, and, and the decision has been to suppress the virus by isolation and other matters. We tried, I remember when all this kicked off, you and I had um, conversations about a word that we're not using anymore. It was cocooning. Do you remember cocooning? Oh, yes, yes. When we when were going to take old geezers like me, you know, mid-70s, and, and, and I was going to be cocooned. I was quite looking forward to being cocooned, <laughs> but uh, it never happened because, no, I mean... It would have made more you know, sense, though. Exactly. Quite logistically, I mean, I think it's I get, just too Do you know what? I keep hearing this. I know we're way over time. We're going to get shouted at, but genuinely, the idea that that we're keeping, you know, roughly, I mean, it would have been about 12 million of the population extra safe and cocooning and shielding. The idea that that would have been logistically much harder than locking down an entire country repeatedly and killing off millions of jobs. The idea the, and and children losing their education for a year. The idea that the, the first option is is harder than what we've done. The second option. I mean, I think it's pie in the sky. Roy, it's, I mean, I'd be cocooned with you any day of the week, but I fear I'd be a risk to you uh, from my age, she said. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer and The Times. Know your times. Let's talk about all of this now uh, with Ros Jones. She's a retired paediatrician. Uh, she's from the Us For Them campaign group who were campaigning from the summer onwards uh, to make sure that young people got back into education and got back into having a life again. Good morning to you, Ros. Good morning, Julia. Well, let's talk first of all about, uh, if we can, the uh, the issue of uh, mass testing of children. We are talking about ch- children on on mass at at school being given these rapid flow rapid lateral flow tests uh, to see if they have got COVID or not. Um, I mean, a lot of people would say, well, that makes a lot of sense. If if we are seeing it going around schools, it makes sense to find out from all you know every if you, you know, test every child very cheaply, very easily, and then we can find out who's got it, who hasn't. That's a lot safer for everyone isn't it? Well, I agree. It sounds like it would be. But the problem is that they're making a big assumption, which is that schools are driving transmission. And there isn't really any evidence for that. Schools simply reflect what's happening in the local community. And most children who who get COVID will have got it at home or out of school. And child to child transmission is relatively low. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is that it assumes that the test they're using is reliable. Now, you mentioned lateral flow tests. It's interesting, when they did the rollout in Liverpool, which was described as a pilot to try and check out if this system worked, we are still waiting for the results of that pilot. And yet it's going on being rolled out further and further. The only thing I know from Liverpool is that they were quite surprised. ONS said about 2% of the population in Liverpool had it at the time. And when they did the testing, some people got PCR and some got lateral flow. The lateral flow results came out at half a percent of the children or the population tested. And the PCR test came out at 3%. So there was a six-fold difference between the two tests. One of the tests is wrong. (laughs) Yes, precisely. But they've assumed that the high test, they're calling PCR the gold standard. So I can tell you, for example, that one of the schools in South End is not using lateral flow, which is quick and easy. They're saying very proudly, oh no, we're using PCR test. It's much more expensive, but it's much more reliable. So they will get even more false positives. And every child who gets sent home, on average, 
50 other children will be sent home as competent. And, that, and that's the issue, isn't it? And again, let's go back, back to the false positive issue of PCR. Yeah. And again, I, we've been, I've been banging on about this for some months and people keep saying, oh, it's irrelevant, it's crazy. We actually see real infections. When infection rates are very, very low, you've got a false yeah. positive rate. We think of about 0.8%. We, we've been told by the health secretary it's under 1%. Actually, a lot of tests can actually be much higher than that. But even if you're yeah. saying, you know, 0.8, as the lowest it's going to be. When you've, yeah. got, when you've actually got a, an incidence of the disease around that mark, actually an awful yeah. lot of the tests that test positive yeah. will simply be the false positives just because they, yeah. all yes. tests, all tests have false positives. There is no test yes. in the world. Absolutely. All tests also have false negatives. Now, we know the issue with the lateral flow test is the opposite, is that they won't catch all of the people who are positive, but they have a very low false positive rate. But you have you have a false negative rate. People think that they're fine, but actually they've got COVID. But it's more likely to catch those who are very infectious. But there's a simple solution for both of these. Two tests, if you have two PCR tests or you have two lateral flow tests, you know, a few hours apart or a day apart, that is a very simple way. The, the odds of you those being wrong after two of them are, pre, I mean, almost infinitesimally small. So we need to have we need, need to have two lateral flow tests to know. But this is the thing: a lot of people are worried about the issue of testing an awful lot of very very healthy people. I think that's wrong. I just think it's it's giving out the the wrong message to children. We're worried about children's mental health, and yet we know that they have a tiny risk of catching COVID and becoming seriously ill with it. And the risk of them dying, well, there have been six deaths in England over the whole the whole yeah. 10 months and they all had life-limiting conditions. There hasn't been a single death of an otherwise healthy child. And that's compared with the normal death rate in children. You know, it's just we're focusing on completely the wrong thing for children. We should be focusing on their mental health, getting them back into schools and keeping them in schools. Mm. And we can't do this if we keep saying that they've got to have a test because they might be contagious to their granny. Don't kill your granny. It's the whole the whole messaging is wrong. And, and just, just finally, what do you make of this uh, talk about, you know, tier three for, for London? People are talking about shutting schools early. London, London Mayor Sadiq Khan calling for that. Many other councils across the whole of London, across the whole of the country, sorry for being London-centric there, uh, are calling for that. Just yeah. to shut the schools as of today and have kids at home so that therefore they can't be, uh, you know, catching it from school and self-isolating ahead of Christmas. Um, I mean, a lot of parents will say, look, this seems like a sensible move. Why would you think it isn't? Well, I have to say, I given when the date of Christmas, they have now reduced the quarantine period from 14 days to 10. Yeah. But I, I would have some sympathy, I have to say, if, if you go to school on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and they introduce mass screening, then you are going to get a test on Wednesday, and 10 days will be, uh, will be after Christmas, yeah. you'll have missed Christmas. Uh, you know, that is not great. But at the same time, we shouldn't be doing the testing. If we weren't doing the testing, they could just carry on going to school as normal to the end of term. Um, we've got children now who've been out of school. We had one mother write in the other day with her school child's been out for 43 days. Oh, That's yes. more than eight weeks. And, and, and at no point being ill herself. No, not at all. And oh. the other thing we've been trying to get information on, and nobody will tell us, is of the 900,000 children in any given week who are at home as contacts, of the 18,000 who might have tested positive. What percentage of those contacts have actually become ill during that 10 days? And nobody will tell us that, because unless we know that, we just don't I, know whether I, there's any... I, I can tell you categorically from my daughter's school, the answer is zero. Um, I, I know that. I know that for a fact. Uh, thank you very much indeed, uh, Ros Jones, the uh, retired paediatrician from the Us For Them campaign group trying to keep kids in school. Thank you. I think you're fantastic work.
Thanks for listening to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give me a good review. And don't forget to catch me on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 until 10. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.